Hi, my name is Brad Constantine, and this is a podcast of the New Testament. I'll be using as the text the King James Version, along with the Joseph Smith Translation. Although this is not an official recording of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, every effort's been made to be as doctrinally accurate as possible. I'll also be using quotes from general authorities of the Church, the Apostles and Prophets, and BYU professors and others, and uh, every word out of the Scriptures themselves. So if you're ready for a really detailed analysis of the New Testament, you've come to the right place. Welcome. Hi, welcome back. This will be for Acts chapter 26. Paul recounts his third account of his conversion. This is the third time he mentions it. His former persecution of the saints as a Pharisee. He testifies of the appearance of Jesus on the Damascus road. Agrippa is almost persuaded to be a a Christian. Notice that almost persuaded is in quotes. Verse 1, Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Thou art permitted to speak for thyself. Then Paul stretched forth the hand and answered for himself. I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because I shall answer for myself this day before thee, touching all the things whereof I am accused of the Jews, especially before I know thee to be expert in all customs and questions which are among the Jews. Wherefore, I beseech thee to hear me patiently. He's buttering him up here a little bit, isn't he? My manner of life from my youth, which was at the first among mine own nation at Jerusalem, know all the Jews which knew me from the beginning, if they would testify that after the most straightest sect of our religion I lived a Pharisee. Paul defended himself as a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee, and called the Pharisees the strictest party in Judaism. Recent committee translations agree on that term, which means most exact or most careful in this context. The Mishnah, the Jewish law written down about A.D. 200, preserves the thinking of the Pharisees whose fundamental tradition was, be deliberate in judgment, raise up many disciples, and make a fence around the law. Thus Paul walked in the path of his father and of the fathers of his people, who sought to protect the Mosaic Code, which was the central law. Josephus, a young Pharisee who lived at the time of Paul, explains, the Pharisees had passed on to the people certain regulations handed down by former generations and not recorded in the laws of Moses. The Mishnah summarizes these rules about rules, condensing and compacting them into some 800 pages in the Standard English translation. For Jesus Christ, the process had gone too far as he accused the Pharisees of cluttering the meaning of God's greatest commandments. Ye hold the tradition of men as the washing of pots and cups and many other such things like ye do. Ye reject the commandment of God that ye may keep your own tradition. That was by Richard Anderson. Verse 6, And now I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise made of God unto our fathers. The triumph and hope of Israel is yet future. In part, it will be realized during the millennial era, but the final inheritance, the fulfillment of the hope in the eternal sense, will come after this earth becomes a celestial sphere. For in that day the poor and the meek of the earth shall inherit it. Verse 7, Unto which promise are twelve tribes instantly or earnestly or intently, serving God day and night, hope to come, for which hope's sake, King Agrippa, I am accused of the Jews. Why should it be thought a thing incredible with you that God should raise the dead? I verily thought with myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth, which thing I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints did I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests, and when they were put to death, I gave my voice or vote against them. And I punished them oft in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme, and being exceedingly mad against them, I persecuted them even unto strange cities or foreign cities. Whereupon, as I went to Damascus with authority and and commission from the chief priests, none of the three versions of Paul's conversion experience are exactly the same. 
Does this mean there, there are significant discrepancies which detract from the reality of his vision? In this last account, Paul tells of his calling to be a minister and a witness to the Gentiles. This precious morsel was not recorded in earlier versions. Do we have need to worry about these differences? Critics love to dwell on supposed inconsistencies in Joseph Smith's spontaneous accounts of his first vision, but people normally give shorter and longer accounts of their own vivid experiences when retelling them more, and more than once. Joseph Smith was cautious about public explanations of his sacred experiences until the church grew strong and could properly publicize what God had given him. Thus, his most detailed first vision account came after several others when he began his formal history. This, too, parallels Paul's experience. His most detailed account of the vision of the road on the road to Damascus is the last of several recorded. And this is the only known instance in which he related the detail about the glorified Savior prophesying Paul's work among the Gentiles. Why would Paul include this previously unmentioned detail only on, the, on that occasion? Probably because he was speaking to a Gentile audience rather than to a group of Jewish Christians. Both Paul and Joseph Smith had reasons for delaying full details of their visions until the proper time and place. That was by Richard Anderson. On at least four different occasions, Joseph Smith either wrote or dictated to scribes accounts of his sacred experience of 1820. The four surviving recitals of this theophany were prepared or rendered through different scribes at different times from a different perspective for different purposes and to different audiences. It is not surprising, therefore, that each of them em emphasizes different aspects of his experience. In an important way, the existence of these different accounts helps support the integrity of the Latter-day Saint prophet. It indicates that Joseph did not deliberately create a memorized version which he related to everyone. In the legal profession, attorneys and judges recognize that if a witness repeats an incident by using precisely the same language, the court might challenge the validity of such a statement. Like Paul, Joseph Smith did not relate all the details of his profound experience of 1820 at any one time. When Paul found that his Gentile ministry was in question, he recalled years after his vision how the Lord had outlined his mission to the non-Jewish nations at the time of his first vision. That was by uh, Milton Backman. Verse 13, At midday, O king, I saw in the way a light from heaven above the brightness of the sun, shining round about me, and them which journeyed with me. That seems very similar to Joseph Smith's, the brightness of the sun above the brightness of the sun. Verse 14, And when we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me and saying, In the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. At his first vision, Paul was told that it was hard for him to kick against the pricks, the last word referring to the sharp jab of the pointed stick against which bulky animals fought. So Paul was resisting spiritual impressions prior to his Damascus vision. He had heard Stephen's testimony before his death. Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Saul was prepared not by the mere mechanics of emotional reversal, but by the direct example of Stephen's vision. Not yet digesting the significance of what he had seen, Paul continued breathing out threatenings and slaughter. Again, that was by Richard Anderson. Verse 15, And I said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness. Missionaries of today should be ready with strong testimonies of the gospel any time they're asked. Both of these things which thou hast seen, and of, these, and of those things in which I will appear unto thee. 
delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom now I send thee, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision, but showed first unto them of Damascus and at Jerusalem and throughout all the coasts of Judea, and then to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God and do works meet for repentance. For these causes the Jews caught me in the temple and went about to kill me. Having therefore obtained help of God, I continue unto this day, witnessing both to small and great saying none other things than those which the prophets and Moses did say should come, that Christ should suffer and that he should be the first that should rise from the dead and should show light unto the people and to the Gentiles. And as as he thus spake for himself, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, thou art beside thyself, much learning doth make thee mad. But he said, I am not mad, most noble Festus, but speak forth the words of truth and soberness. For the king knoweth of these things, wherefore, before whom also I speak freely. For I am persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him, for this thing was not done in a corner. Gordon B. Hinckley said, As I have gone about the world, I have had opportunity for interviews with representatives of the media. This is always a worrisome undertaking, because one never knows what will be asked. These reporters are men and women of great capacity, who know how to ask questions that come at you like a javelin. It is not exactly an enjoyable experience, but it represents an an opportunity to tell the world something of our story. As Paul said to Festus and Agrippa, this thing was not done in a corner. We have something that this world needs to hear about, and these interviews afford an opportunity to give voice to that. Verse 27, King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? I know that thou believest. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. And Paul said, I I would to God that not only thou, but also all that hear me this day were both almost and altogether such as I am, except these bonds. Paul made his defense before King Agrippa and related the account of of the vision he had he had when he saw a light and heard a voice, but still there were but few who believed him. Some said he was dishonest, others said he was mad, and he was ridiculed and reviled. But all this did not destroy the reality of his vision. He had seen a vision, he knew he had seen, and all the persecution under heaven could not make it otherwise, and though they should persecute him unto death, even yet he knew and would know to his latest breath that he had both seen a light and heard a voice speaking unto him, and all the world could not make him think or believe otherwise. So it was with me. I have actually seen a light, and in the midst of that light I saw two personages, and they did in reality speak to me. And though I was hated and persecuted for saying that I had seen a vision, yet I was, yet it was true. And while they were persecuting me, reviling me, and speaking all manner of evil against me, falsely for so saying, I was led to say in my heart, Why persecutest me for telling the truth? Why persecute me for telling the truth? I have actually seen a vision, and who am I that I can withstand God? Or why does the world think to make me deny what I actually had seen? That was by Joseph Smith in the Joseph Smith History. Verse 30, And when he had thus spoken, the king rose up, and the governor and Bernice, and they that sat with them. And when they were gone aside, they talked between themselves, saying, This man doeth nothing worthy of death or of bonds. Then said Agrippa unto Festus, This man might have been set at liberty, if if he had not appealed unto Caesar. By this saying, one might think that Paul made a mistake when he appealed to Caesar. After two years of imprisonment, Agrippa seems willing to let him go. Did Paul make a mistake in appealing to Caesar? 
It is doubtful that Agrippa really would have let him go. Besides, the Lord's plan was to have him most have his most vocal apostle testify before the greatest political authority on the earth. Paul had been told, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem, so must thou bear witness also at Rome. The Lord's plan for Paul was to testify in Rome. Paul knew it, and this is why he appealed to Caesar, not because he was trying to free himself. Paul was comfortable to suffer for Christ's name as the prisoner of Jesus Christ. What does it mean to be valiant in the testimony of Jesus? Surely this includes keeping his commandments and serving him, but wouldn't it also include bearing witness of Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Redeemer, to believers and non-believers alike? As the Apostle Peter taught the saints of his day, we should sanctify the Lord God in our hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh us a reason of the hope that is in us. And that's just like what Paul is doing here. That was by Dallin Oaks. Anyway, that's the end of the chapter, and we'll see you next time. Bye.